Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I bumble like a Gregor Bryan gumbo. Standing on the ground, flat feet, firm, coming worms and germs, and I'm doing it. Welcome to the rumble, we are back. And we have missed each and every one of you, and I cannot wait till we get a chance to talk some more about it. And we have got some amazing topics coming up for you. And uh, we've uh, once again have Brent that is going to be joining us. He is not quite here yet, but we're looking forward to having him. Yeah, everywhere the guy goes, he's got all kinds of applause that comes in. Um, working the boards for us, as always, is the beautiful Donna Lavelle. Hello. It is so nice to be back at the Rumble. I cannot tell you. The last time that we did it, so this is our second show. Brent Brent will be back in just a second. Yep. But while we're waiting on him, um, we will uh, – I'll, I'll just fill some time here and kind of talk about sort of the last show. Uh, I believe that he's in the waiting room waiting on approval right now. So if you can approve him to come back in, that'd be awesome. Because doing that, and it doesn't make a noise. Well, you know, Brent, Brent has joined us. Say hi to everybody, Brent. How's it going, man? Hey, what's going on? Man, I was just telling everybody how, how much fun the last show that we did and how excited we are to be back um, to do this again. Um, it was funny. Brent and I, actually, as soon as the show was over, absolutely, um, absolutely, uh, you know, we kind of went down and unpacked it. We kind of talked about it. There were some things that we wanted to do a little bit there. So while we're working it, it's still going to be three three rounds. We're going to have three rounds. We're going to serve the services in three rounds. We've got some really cool topics. I'm going to throw it to Donna so we can talk about some of the different things that we're going to be talking about today. Okay. First, let me give you the rules. Um, be respectful. No hitting below the belt, which includes calling out specific adjusters or contractors. Um, and that's it. Just don't be a jerk. We'll do our best. I'm not making any promises. But that's why we have a disqualification. Try not to cuss either because that's really hard on me as the editor of all this stuff. So, Uh, Okay, I'll try not to cuss. Okay, so today, um, round one, we're going to be talking about um, the misuse of engineers' reports. And I would like to introduce our fighters. Okay. In this corner is Brent, the beast from the east, Hooper. That's a long middle name. <laughs> we try so hard. I know. We try so hard. And this corner is Jeremy, the mouth of the South Lavelle. Yeah, there you go, everybody. Put your hands together. That's all right. There we go. I am, I am, I am dancing like you guys would not know right now. I'm, I'm actually cabbage patching for everyone. Thank God this is an audio podcast. No one actually has to watch me cabbage patch, right? So we have a term for misuse of engineer's reports. Um, we call it engineer blankery. 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 Yeah. Beepery. Bleepery. Yeah. yeah. Or, e- so in short, in short, it's EF. Or EFHO, which is engineer blankery of the highest order. Of the like highest? BS. Cannot deal with that. Cannot deal with that. And uh, you know what? Hang on a second. I'm going to check my gloves. I'm going to make sure my mouthpiece is in and get ready because as soon as I hear that bell, I'm ready to come out swinging because this is a big one for me. Okay, let's go. It's a good one. Man, you know what? So throughout my tenure, Brent, and I'm just, I, I just want to take this one first, and I hope that's okay with you. I'm going to start here because Do I it. cannot believe – 
how many the first thing I can't believe and and, and hang on a second. I digress. I'm gonna walk this back. <laughs> For those of you who have not had the distinct pleasure of inspecting a loss, um, photographing damages and you know, and and then presenting documentation to the carrier, only to have them send out an engineer to basically say that you're wrong, that this is not due to the uh, cause of loss that you had, and I can tell because there was, you know, they'll 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 throw whatever opinion out, and basically, if there is any sort of conceivable, if there's any sort of conceivable other explanation, that's what they say that it is, and you'll you'll hear all kinds of things like that's not hail damage, that's that's probably due to wear and tear, thermal cracking, and they'll have all of this terminology that sounds really really smart. And then they, they throw it out. And, but as you read it, you begin to understand that there's a lot of contradictions in there. And they are making – I have no idea, first of all, why you would send out an engineer to determine what is and what isn't storm damage. Do you know what I'm saying, Brent? That I mean, seems like what he's way above that pay grade. I, I mean, this is, what, this is what you spend all the money at Texas A&M to get this engineering degree is to go out and, and, and look at Look roots. at hail. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it is funny because then for the record, Donna, I heard the rules loud and clear, very familiar, but this particular topic uh, impassions me, so I'm just going to apologize in advance. Um, okay, well, very you, difficult. Him, you mark them and just send them. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be difficult for me to make it through without uh, dropping some, some expletives, but nonetheless, um, now it, it's really interesting. It's really interesting from from a hundred thousand foot view. You know, w- w- when we're talking about like exterior claims and shit like that, wind, hail, storm damage, and you kind of get to this particular point, this impasse, and going the engineer out, it almost seems reflexive. If that makes sense, where it's like, oh, we disagree. So the next step in the process is uh, we're going to get Eddie Engineer out here to. And then it's like the pause, and then you, and then I'll let you kind of go back into it, Jeremy. But it's like it doesn't. It, it's 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 like <coughs> what's the word I'm looking for? It's um, it's uh, dissonant. Like it doesn't make sense. It's like you know, we're on our third inspection. You guys have already opened up coverage, but now we got to bring out Eddie Engineer for what fucking reason? You know, it's it's very. You know, like, what's the point? Why, why, why? What is, what is this dude coming out here for? Like, we, we already know there's damage. We, we, we've had a half a dozen people agree that there's effing damage. Like, what's the, so that's where I get really heated because, again, it seems reflexive. There, there doesn't, there doesn't really seem to be, um, any rationale to it outside of what we all know to, to be that extra layer of the, and I'm holding up the, the proverbial air quotes. We're going to get an expert out here so the carrier can pretend that they've, you know, hired an expert and pretend that their their goal is to get it right. And truth be told, they're hiring some some putts that learn nothing in engineering school about shingles or siding or what the fuck wind damage looks like. But um, they're going to come out and rubber stamp a report that that, uh, like you said, is pretty much written to say we disagree with pseudoscience as the foundation of pretty much their findings. So that's where I get real heated. And, and I'll, uh, I'll let you go from there. That's where I get okay. real heated. Well, me too, okay? Because 
I worked, as, as you well know, Brent and Donna, as you will know, I worked on the carrier side for a lot of years. And, and, uh, well, hang on. Before we boo them, I am, a, I am a product of the carrier. Whether you like it or not, I am absolutely 100% a product of the carrier because I went through carrier training. And I will tell you, those people, carriers, know how to educate. Most of them have a very, very good education division within their organization. And um, I can speak specifically about the carrier that I worked most closely with. Um, I helped I helped them develop. Um, in this case, it was more developed sales curriculum than it was uh, than it was sort of claims handling or process or process training. It was more it was more business develop small business development um, sales curriculum that I worked with him on. But I'm telling you, the way that they break it down and the way that they uh, and the people they get to teach it. I mean, some of the best teachers I've ever seen in my life have been at a carrier. I, I mean, as far as dynamic, that gets you engaged, that know how. And, and so hands and, and I applaud carriers on their education program that they have out there. But I, and, and as a product of the carrier, I want to say this is that I trusted them a lot, and as and when I was out there, and I d- had a, a true structural issue. If I had a true structural issue, yep. I yep. like yep. I would call an engineer because we had a two story wall deflected by wind that is now now the 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 door the the sliding door won't close, and like there's more going on here, especially with the size of the wall. And this is my first experience with an engineer. We called an engineer out. He did it. He wrote a protocol. I wrote an estimate based on that protocol, and it was all said and done. Um, Good and fine, and that in a, in that situation, that's where I believe an engineer would be needed. Is when is when you're dealing with something more than facade finishes. So I'm talking drywall, siding, you know, flooring, that kind of thing. You're not talking about the bones of the house. You're talking about the skin of it at this point in time. Um, those are damages that we're all really comfortable with addressing as adjusters, by and large. You know, where we get more uncomfortable or where we have no expertise is when it gets into the structural integrity of any given structure. Okay. And so you call out an engineer to help make sure that you address everything that is going on in this situation. Brent. If I if I may, I just want to accent what what this thing that you're describing. This is exactly at least in my mind, and it sounds like we agree on this, this is exactly what a freaking engineer's for. And for, for the millions of listeners, like, this is exactly what we're not talking about. This is not what I'm talking about. And so I had this. And so when I, when I basically kind of began to cycle out of the carrier side of claims handling and became more on the side of the, of the, of the production of the rebuild. So I was working with contractors. They would send out an engineer. And I remember telling the, the owner of the roofing company, I said, once they send out an engineer, that's pretty much it. That's going to be what it's going to be defeating that. And that's going to, and I honestly believe that the engineer was going to come back with something that I felt to be true and honest. And, 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 in this particular case, when I was working in Florida for Hurricane Michael, this engineer did not come back with, and I was like, this guy's out of his mind. I can't believe it. And I had no idea how to beat it. And then fast forward to the pandemic. Okay. So this is where I believe that the misuse really began. They started hiring engineer firms because the Seek Now and the, and the, and the Hancock guys, they were not, they were not 
licensed adjusters and they couldn't ask licensed adjusters to go out there, I guess. So they would just go get engineers and the engineers would make a determination on the causation of the loss and the extent of the loss. And that's where it started, in my opinion. Now, I'm not saying that it did, they weren't used for that prior to that, but that's been my experience is when they started coming out. And, and I'm like, why on earth would an engineer want to come way in on whether or not the damage to a roof was created by hail? I don't have any problem with them speaking towards the causation of it all, but what it was used for, and in, in, in this is where I think the error began is that for whatever reason, when it, when it comes to especially roofs, the engineers were looking for, a plaus- for plausible deniability. What is their plausible deniability? And then they take a degree and a license number in an engineer and a, attack, and they, it's like this plausible deniability also comes with an expert opinion. And all of the, all of the reports that I've read over time, all of the reports that I've read over time, it, it and is really what it is. It's just their opinion. They rarely take any sort of scientific data other than what you and I could go pull off of a off of a hail trace report or off yep. of an AccuWeather report, Brent. You know, I mean, they're not pulling any sort of real scientific data as it pertains to the history of the building and different sort of trauma that it may have suffered and other things, other sort of events that may have occurred. They don't go to the city. They don't look at any permitting. They don't. They just simply write the same damn opinion that you and I have. They use the same sort of resources and then they just conveniently have this entire other conclusion and they slap their degree behind it and your claim is denied yep all in and all done yep thanks for playing exactly canonized and so so with that being said it's like again that's you brought up something that that also when you're dealing with ef or efho it's it it is incessantly frustrating how boilerplate these reports are, right? Including so, so here's the copy and paste errors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like, you know, the fact that, you know, and I probably read, who knows, two a week, two or three a week. It's really unfortunate. And by the way, I, I say this uh, sincerely. I think it's degrading to the profession of engineers. But again, that's a conversation for a different day. I completely it, agree it's with it you. Is, it it totally cheapens what they do. I mean, really it, again, these, these are super smart people that have, you know, really expensive pieces of paper hanging on their wall, something they should be proud of. Them going out and writing these boilerplate garbage reports is, I mean, again, they probably disagree, but it's just an outsider, you know, on the sideline looking at, looking at the plays going on the field. I'm like, that that's just such garbage. Anyway, I digress. So the boilerplate reports, I think it is incessantly frustrating when you go through a claims process and you get to this point where, oh, again, in the context of like a quintessential exterior claim, oh, we're going to send out an engineer. And before you even get to the meeting, you're like, oh, here we, you know, here we fucking go. You know, like, I think that that's, that's unfortunate. You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, you go out, you, you go through, you go through the motions, you do the thing, um, and you know whether you're a public adjuster, contractor, whatever the scenario is. If you've been through it twenty times, you've been through it a thousand times. I'm probably closer to that latter number, and it's just like you know, 
that there's about a 9.5% chance out of 10 that you're going to get some bullshit report back. A report that you've read 100 times. And that's, that's wild to me. That is, it's flagrant. And it, and it gets me butthurt. <laughs> that's, my, that's my word tonight. I, 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 I completely agree. The point is, oh. is that I realize that these guys have degrees, Brent, and they went to school and they learned a lot more complicated stuff than I did in school. Right. They know a lot more complicated stuff, but they also know how to ride a bicycle. Do you right. know? And basically, yep. whatever knowledge they're drawing from is out of the same bucket of how do I ride a bicycle as as that's they're, they're pulling from that same kind of bucket because they're not really using sort of any of their skill set as an engineer as it pertains to the damage to this. Moreover, moreover, what I would want to know is is why why are you a why are you taking the job really and truly? And then why are you not out there just confirming, you know, that this engine, that, that, yes, this house got hit by hail. It is likely that hail caused this damage. It's also likely other things caused it. Here are some other things that could have caused it, but I can't rule out hail. But they don't say that. So, yes. And, and you know what? Short of you and I sitting here and bitching and complaining about this, I want to I want to give a credit really quick to to Matt Mahalan. I know that he's done extensive coursework on this and training and all of that. But short of us sitting here inventing and our listeners just sort of shaking their head and, and they understand where we're coming from, I think it might be worth us taking a part of this segment to talk about some ways to. And I'm going to steal your your shtick, Jeremy. Some ways, some strategies to prepare yourself for these inspections and sort of kind of retain some control of the narrative. Because I know that the first couple times that I went out on site and I'm meeting with some some guy or gal from Donin or, you know, whatever, pick an en- ABC engineering firm, you know, the first couple times you got and you get kicked in the chest, you're like, well, that really sucked. And then you start, you know, you start sharpening your pencil a little bit. And, you know... My point is, I think it would be a good idea for us to take a couple minutes to talk about some of our our best practices in terms of, you know, how to avoid some of the engineer effery that goes on. You know what I mean? Like, how what can we do in our capacity to hold them accountable and perhaps put them on notice that the the other the other thirty reports that they wrote this month they're not going to fly with us. You know what I'm saying? You 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 want to do that or? The next segment here that I'll get that we'll get into. I just want to wrap up what you're saying. That's actually what I believe round two is. Round two is yes. what is round two, Donna? Yeah. What do we have it on there? Um, I think it's how to deal. What What do you do once you get one? Yeah, and I do. And I do want to unpack that. Okay. I mean, because so that's yeah, yeah. going to be that's coming up in, in in a future round. But the idea here is, guys, is that. It is what I want to leave you with all of this is understand that this happens to all of us. And there are methods that we will get into um, here in just a second on how to on how to deal with and handle those things. So I guess that is the yeah. end of the round. I, want to add something real quick. I think that if if a lawsuit um, that involved one of those reports where the report was proven to be a false report that would put into question every single report that that engineer has ever written. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of resources out yeah. there, but um, what I want to talk to you about right now, honestly, is um, 
there is a there is a software package out there that is great for helping um, manage your business. And when choosing someone to help you with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. My good friend Sally Brigance at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience, and she can build you a beautiful 15-page, sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week um, that she can make a video for you. Um, she can do, uh, she can help you manage with a CR. They have a CRM to help you manage um, and maintain and nurture your clients, text and email marketing, review generation, uh, business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, And so, so much more. And we at Remedy Claims actually use this. We love Thrive. And uh, Sally will even also create a uh, a page for you on Google or Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. If you already have these pages, she'll help you optimize them. Give Sally Brigance a call at Thrive Media. And if you would like to get a hold of her, we'll go ahead and drop her contact number down in the comments if you would like that. Um, if you're in a place where you can write it down right now, her um, – let me see if I can get her phone number for you. I don't have her phone number, but we will make sure that we have that in the comments for you if you want to reach out to her. Please tell them that uh, Jeremy and Donna with Pain of the Claim sent you over there. So um, anyway, so back to round two. What is round two, Donna? Oh. Also, go to our website. She designed our website. Oh, yeah. You can check out RemedyClaims.com. They are the ones that uh, handled our website. And I'm going to tell you from a, personal, from a personal experience, them handling my calendar. They can take payments. They can handle invoices. They can do all. I mean, there's all sorts of things that they do. Um, it, is, it is really sort of like a, an employee you know what I mean? It takes it's some time to set it up. Business, and it, it is, does take the place of an employee, definitely. It, it does. You, t- you got to take, just like with any employee, you got to train it and get them set up for success. But once that's done, it is, it is, it is an amazing tool, and I highly recommend it. As a, as a friend, as a friend and a small business owner myself, um, mm-hmm. yes, their work product is awesome. Yes. I've had the pleasure of um, seeing how some of the stuff is set up at Remedy Claims and if you take a look at their website, I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's freaking awesome. So I figured I'd plug it too, because I've seen, I've seen the product. I mean, it's good yeah. stuff. Cool. So. Absolutely. All right. So round two, um, we're going to talk about how to handle a bad engineer's report. How to hate. There's a, there's a couple of resources out there. I think I want to, I want to rip off real, or not rip off. I want to, I want to let you know what I got. I want to, I don't want to rip them off. I just want to rip off a few, a few ideas. Borrow. I want to give a Borrow. few ideas. Here. Good grief, man. I, I relay can't. information. That's all you're doing. I cannot. I just want to relay information. That's all I'm trying to do. First and foremost, first and foremost, I highly recommend. <laughs> Matt Mulholland, I hope you're listening to this podcast at some point in time because because you're the reason we act so crazy up here. But uh, speaking of Matt Mulholland, he has got a great course. I have not had the opportunity to take it, but I have talked to several people that have. And it, yeah. basically the term that I hear most common is game changer. Yeah. So look into that. And then the next thing that I would point out is I would look into um, – the APA, which is the American Policyholders Association, which is a nonprofit organization that um, prosecutes or goes after carrier fraud. 
Okay. And they've got a tool on their website, which is the AmericanPolicyholder.com. We'll drop that in the, in the, in the comments below as well so that you can get a link to that. But they are a nonprofit organization that desperately needs support. Um, and, and if you're looking for a good place, uh, to, uh, give some charitable donations to, especially this close to the, well, we're, we're, we're recording this at the end of the year. It may be after the first of the year, but I'm pretty sure, um, these organizations need money in the beginning of the year, not just at the, not at the end of the year, but either way, um, the APA has got a tool on there where you can upload your engineer's report and it will go through and it will find the discrepancies, the cut and paste errors and all of these kind of things. And the reason the report is so critical is because it's in writing. And it's stamped. And so those things become um, – it's, it, it's a lot more than just a, a perfunctory email that you fired off because you were upset at one point in time. This, these documents become official. They become discovery. Yeah, they become yeah, discovery. Yeah. And they're used to make coverage decisions. And so, yeah. there's a, and so those are the two things. Those are the first two things that I would recommend that you do if you're dealing with a, with a, with a difficult engineer's report or a or, – or, you're up against a bad engineer's report. Those two, those two resources are really good as far as educating yourself on how to handle it and then getting some help for it. But there, there are a couple of different things that uh, I do. But before I get into what I do, Brent, how do you kind of tackle a bad engineer's report? All right. So I jotted a couple things down, and I, I think it's, it's really important to delineate delineate some of the, or categorize some, some things here. Just because an engineer gets involved, not by your choosing, it doesn't mean that your the claim is going to the dumpster and that the carrier is being, you know, they're, they're not acting in good faith. That's, I think that's really important because the first segment, you know, we kind of, we're bitching and moaning about engineers and the misuse of them. And I think that's the operative word, the misuse, right? But as we're talking about the reports and the interactions, I think it's important or it's mission critical to just reiterate that not every report is bad, right? Right. And there's a difference between a perfunctory report and a report that just isn't favorable, <laughs> like that's that's important, you know. Yeah, yeah, right, be, right, right, right. Just because you don't like what's in it doesn't mean that the engineer is a is a liar and you know needs to be taken outside behind the barn and, and given a lashing, right? So we need to keep that in mind as we move forward here. Um, but but how I how I handle an engine? I'll just say an engineer report, not even necessarily a bad one. One of the first things I wrote down which is so stupidly obvious and overly simplistic, is you got to read it. And I don't mean read it on your cell phone. I mean, you know, and everybody learns differently and all that, but you need to read it. You need to break it down. And perhaps the, the term I'm looking for is actively read it. As you're going through, take notes. Write down your questions as you're going through it. Depending on the type of claim, I know that the most common place for, you know, when we get pissed off are these exterior claims. But, you know, if they use some sort of jargon or vernacular that you don't understand, look it up. You know, so that's, that's my first, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop there for now. I've got a couple other points, but I, I want to pass the ball back to you. But that, that's my first little, 
my first little tip is just take take the time and just read the thing. Brent, as soon as you said read it, I actually picked up my pen and I wrote it down right here on my run sheet. You know, I said read it, and then what you're reading for is you're actually not just trying to to read it for the sake of checking a box to say I read it. I'm reading it to see what their data is. You're not reading it for affirmation. You're reading it for information. I am truly trying to get the well information. Said, how did you? Yeah. How did you? How did you? How did you assemble this opinion? What is this opinion built up of? What do you have behind you? I mean, what do you have behind you that supports what you're telling me? Please show me one shred of evidence that supports what you're saying. And I'm going to pick a particular engineer report right now that I dealt with that happens to be in Oklahoma. Okay. And basically what it was is it was a fire, Brent. It was a large fire. It was a large home that had a, a, a great big, huge driveway. And, um, and the homeowner at the time of the fire instinctively thought to take a picture of the fire truck sitting in his driveway. And I, you know, and I don't think he ever thought he would ever go back and look at that thing ever <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, he, he didn't think he, he would ever need that freaking picture. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, he never, I mean, it was probably like, guess what I did last night? And you send him that picture or whatever. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know you're thinking you're going to get a picture of a concert. And what you got is a picture of, oh my God, my, my, <laughs> my house burned down. You know, this guy's house burned down. And, and, and it was a terrible situation. And kind of as we were going through the process, my client noticed that his driveway was busted and I said you know what that's really common in fact Brent you and I worked a fire I think in Pennsylvania where they had driveway damage that we actually ended up getting covered right well the carrier in this situation sent out an engineer and the engineer came back with a finding that there was ground shifting that caused these cracks yep Michael and in his report, do you know why? You know what his data was for this driveway in Oklahoma? His his overwhelming opinion was based on the fact that ground shifting was common in the Midwest. <laughs> I'm no cartographer, but <laughs> Look, I slept through most of geography. Okay, I just want you to know, I slept through most of geography, but even I know Oklahoma is not in the Midwest. So I'm speaking to the fact that it's a copy and paste error, you know, and, and, and as soon as I'm reading, I'm like, Oklahoma's not in the Midwest. And so I write that down and then I begin to look and I think he's going to have all of this supporting, you know, you've got, you've got 18 inches of topsoil. You got 36 inches of bedrock. The bedrock is primarily made out of limestone. And it's, this is the topographical map. And if you take a look at this, you can see this little circle right here. And you know, we're going to see a high pressure system and you're going to, I mean, I was expecting some freaking information. Like some real, oh my God, I can't believe I ever thought a fire truck could do this to it. And it's clearly ground shifting. <laughs> but that is not what I got. Yeah. I got that ground shifting's common in the Midwest. And so I, and I get after it. I mean, obviously, and then there's other things. I was like, 
Please show me one shred of evidence other than this Joker's opinion that it was ground shifting. You have not proven anything. You have not. You haven't looked at my data, and I ask all of these sorts of questions. Where else have you noticed ground shifting other than the driveway? Because you think it would manifest there. Is there ground shifting anywhere in the street? Did you notice ground shifting and any other cracks prevalent in any of the other driveways to state that this area, this tectonic area, you know, has been affected? Do you know what I'm saying? You have no shred of proof other than I believe that it's ground shifting because that's the most, you know, here you go. Here's your reason. This is what it could be. And I'm not saying that part of the cracks in there might not have been due to some sort of ground shifting. But what I do know is the picture of a fire truck that I sent to them. He goes, well, the, the crack was in a different place than where I saw the fire truck parked. And I was like, you I, I cannot, Brent, I was so infuriated at that point. I said, the point of the picture is to prove that a fire truck was there. I did not plot its freaking movements. Right. No idea. The point is, is there was, in fact, a fire truck here. See right here? Right. And the point is, is that said fire truck? That said fire truck. I, I went after, and I started, I called my buddy who's a firefighter in the city of Irving. And I said, how much do those trucks weigh? Goes, I don't know. Let me look it up. So he looks it up. He goes, well, the truck that I'm looking at here has a, has a dry weight of about 40,000 pounds and a wet weight with equipment and water on it of about 60,000 pounds. And I said... Thank you, Brent. And so he, uh, he, my buddy's name is actually Brent. His name is Brent. <laughs> my buddy's, I went to high school with him. He's a firefighter. And he sent me like a PDF document. So I add this PDF document to my report. Then I decided to look up concrete tensile strength. Now, you would think at some level, maybe the engineer might have looked these elements up, but he did not do that. And what that thing is rated for, what that driveway, specifically that driveway is rated for, is about 8,000 pounds per square inch. That's what that driveway can handle. And we were putting about 40,000, because remember, the truck doesn't spread all the way out. It sits as it rolls. It's isolated to the, to the points on which it sits on the driveway. I'm sitting here going, where is your data? Right. Where, where is this? Well, now, this is, this is still denied. It still got denied. So, I mean, I, it's not like I have a right, right. But, Yeah, dude. And that, well, that's another thing that I, I kind of, as you were talking, I'm thinking for, for folks listening in, you know, these things aren't silver bullets. But as it relates to the credibility of what we're doing, whether it be public adjusters, contractors, and the like, it's, at the end of the day, read the damn thing. And, and rub, rub your good common sense brain cells together and just read it and ask a ton of questions. And it goes, you know, you're talking about tinsel strength and all that. What you're talking about is going through reading, you know, you, you extrapolated one finding from that report that, that caught you and you're like, you just, you just reverse engineered it, no pun intended. You know, it's like, well, how did he arrive at that? You know? Ground shifting. Well, there's a freaking 60,000-pound truck on this, you know, piece of concrete over here. Is it feasible or reasonable that, hey, maybe that truck could have effed up the driveway? Well, to any normal, rational person that knows how to exhibit a bit of logic is going to go, yeah, Jeremy, you know, that seems reasonable. 
newsflash people. We're not, we're not dealing with reasonable people. So <laughs> point of my little commentary is those are their silver bullets here, but this is the way that we should behave when we're dealing with these types of things. It's, you got to think through it sort of unemotionally and critically and unpack it and ask, ask questions that show up for you. There is no dumb question when you're going through something like that. There's an, it's just not. You know, you write them down, plot them out, and re reposition your argument. Now, one thing I'll say is, and this is, I'm going to bounce the, the ball back to you, Jeremy, is, you know, there's essentially two or, I guess, two scenarios that you end up in. You either get brought into the claim after Eddie Engineer's already been out there, in which case it's you know it's, you can't control that narrative. What's done is done. On the other hand, you're involved in the claim leading up to Eddie Engineer coming out, right? So in one breath, maybe maybe the dude or the gal, whatever, they've already been there. In the in the other scenario, you actually have the opportunity to be present or get questions answered beforehand. So with that being said, one question that I think is really important is why are they going? Why? To deny the claim. I, that's, that's, that, there's only one reason that they could go out there is so that they have plausible deniability to deny the claim. That's, that's, and that's the only while reason. we know that, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't negate the importance of asking the adjuster that. Because I'm thinking down the road, if this thing, if this thing gets litigated, why, why did they tell you that ABC Engineering needs to come out? Is the answer, oh, we needed to determine causation? Well, that's interesting. As far as we can see, you guys have already extended coverage. So, are we now trying to go back on what we've already agreed on? You know, is it causation? Um, is it, oh, well, the engineer is going out there to determine causation and perhaps repairability. See, depending on the answer that you get from the carrier as to why this, this other party is being introduced to the claim, I think is important because it, it opens the door for about 150 other questions that need to get asked before that engineer ever shows up at the house, right? And that stuff, whether... I think my point ultimately is getting, asking the right questions and then following up those questions, you know, you're going to get answers from the carrier and then following up those answers with even more questions. So that way, by the time you show up to that, that meeting, then you, then you kind of hit the repeat button. So I'm going to pause there because it's sort of like the lead up to the engineer meeting and then sort of how, how to conduct yourself on an engineer meeting. Again, we could probably talk about this stuff for six hours, but I want to give it back to you. Like, what do you, what well, do you think? I mean, I mean, as it, so I, you, you said something, so the, the point here is, is often the engineer is going to come out there and do his thing and he's going to find what he's going to find. And you swaying right. an engineer's opinion is, is usually a fool's errand. Okay. So I would, I would, I mean, you can, but what I, what isn't a fool's errand is to ask the carrier, what's your goal here? Right. I mean, 
have I not provided you enough documentation to extend coverage? I mean, you've extended a lot more coverage on a lot less documentation. What is it about this that you're wanting to do that? So I would, I would definitely ask. And then the other thing that you can do is ask for the CV of the engineer and, and see what his qualifications in life yeah, yeah. are. You know, those, yeah. are, those are all good questions that you can ask. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like, okay, so you've decided you need an engineer out here. Clearly that, that didn't just pop into your head. This isn't, you know, some impulsive decision. So, so answer me this, who, who are you sending out? Whenever I ask that question, the vast majority of the time, the adjuster has no idea. So, and, and which, again, because I could just drone on, but it's like, okay, so you decided or you came to the conclusion that an engineer is required, but you don't even have a vendor in mind, which tells me that you have no idea. You're not even hiring an engineer for a particular purpose on a particular claim. You're just, you're just fucking hiring somebody. You're literally throwing, throwing it against the wall. You know what I mean? It's not specialized. There's no... I always say that they're shooting with a musket, not a laser. There's no particular desired end game, and I think the, the the arbitrary nature of how they go about it just proves what you said about ten, fifteen minutes ago, which is they're sending them out there to write a bogus report. And I, my goal with the adjuster leading up to that is to get all this memorialized and get it on record. When I asked you these 35 questions, these were your answers. Please confirm. You know, again, does it change the trajectory of the claim? Does it, does it, does, does all, you know, does all state or pick an insurance company, do they, do they pick up the phone and call me back and say, hey, Brent, you know what? We're, we're not going to send out the engineer. No, that's never happened. But I'll tell you what, by the time I get on site with that engineer, I ask them the question, why are you here? I always start with that. Why are you Absolutely. here? Absolutely. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice day. Where you're coming from? Cool. You know, whatever. Get through the niceties. But it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What did specifically? What did yeah? What did the carrier instruct you to do today? And what's interesting is those answers vary, dude. (laughs) There is. I mean, it's like it's like sometimes they're like, oh, well, I'm here to do an inspection. And I'll do it, and I'll just play the game. What inspection for what? And I'll and I, you know, again, maybe maybe I shouldn't do this, but I do. It's like, what are you inspecting? Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of role playing real conversations. Well, um, uh, storm damage on the roof. They sent you out to confirm if there's storm damage. Why they do that? Well. That's all it says. And I've literally had engineers like turn their, their little sheet around and be like, well, that's, that's literally what it says, uh, inspection for storm damage. Oh, well, that's interesting. The carrier's already extended coverage. Right. And, and, you know, and, you the know what I mean? and the engineer's report will look really professional. They'll like go get a site survey and they'll trace the site survey on it and they'll have nice aerial photos and it'll look like they went to all of this effort when in fact they really did not. And it, it, and it, it looks, it, it's yeah. The, anyway, 
<laughs> anyway, I mean, you know, it's it, the point. The point is, is that what I would like to encourage everyone to do when you come up across. Look, Brent is right. We're not going to have any sil- silver bullets. The driveway claim that I was speaking about, I lost. It doesn't matter. But I wrote a narrative. I turned in documentation. And as it pertains to being able to be litigated, the very fact that the engineer cannot refute the data that I've been given or that he took it into consideration is the is is what's going to tear it apart in court. Generally, if the at least that's my intention, and that's why I'm providing the attorney. It's like you may not have done your job as an engineer, but I sure as hell did my job as an adjuster and i looked this stuff up and i have provided data for them to make real coverage decisions and in fact they're making a negative coverage decision on less information than i'm giving them to make a positive positive coverage decision and that is really what my goal is here is remember i want to be clear as a public adjuster my job is to prove the loss my goal is to get an increase but my job is to prove the loss. And so as it, as it pertains to that, nothing gets you out of doing your job. So you need to get in there. You need to prove the loss. You need to make it a part of the record. Get it submitted with documentation and turn that thing in. And, let, and, and, and if it comes down to a judge making a decision on whether or not it was ground shifting or a spaceship landed on it, I don't know. Whatever that case may be, if we have to go to court, you want to make sure that you have fulfilled your due diligence in, in refuting that report with your own expert opinion for whatever it may or may not uh, have, for whatever weight it may or may not have. And then you, you've also shown a level of research. And that's the thing juries are going to love. You need to put, everything yep. you do needs to be above reproach. It needs to, well, you need to just do your job in its entirety and quit crossing your fingers and hoping things fall your way. You know, if there is a takeaway from this, um, this, this sort of dialogue, it's like, look, ladies and gentlemen, hope is not a strategy. That's correct. (laughs) Like, you know, do your due diligence. Don't, don't be, don't be a bystander to, to a process that it's quite frankly kind of bullshit, right? Like when, when, when the engineer gets, gets brought up, you know, like it's a dirty word, you know, remember not all of them are bad. Not all reports are garbage, but you can't control what they come out and do. What we can control is how accountable we hold them, how well we document it, and the, the homework that we ultimately do. Um, one last thing that I had written down, I mean, we can take this puppy wherever you want to go with it, but one last thing that I wrote down is the nuance of, of sort of educating the engineer. That might sound a little bit counterintuitive, but in my experience going on uh, uh, more engineer meetings than I care to admit, a lot of them really don't know why they're there. Or at least the reason that they're there is, you know, we, we already talked about it. It's kind of skewed. Like they, they literally, they're there to come out, do their thing, take their pictures, write their, and quite literally write their report on what they think is going on. Right. And as it pertains to these storm claims, it's like, you know, they come out, they take their pictures and they literally write what they see. Hey, maybe there was some wind. Maybe there wasn't. The shingles felt pretty pliable. Um, You know, there's there's wear and tear on the front. There's wear and tear on the back. There's granular loss. Um, You know, most of them doesn't look like it was from wind. I found a couple wind damaged shingles and, you know, I mean, we've all read enough of them, so I don't need to drone on. 
But what's interesting is they don't, some of these guys, and, and I've, I've witnessed this firsthand, they don't realize that that report is going to be taken and, and contorted and leveraged in such a way that that homeowner is more than likely not going to be able to get a viable repair as a result. And so to get to, you know, going around a barn to get to the hay, to get to the point here is that I've taken the time to explain to the engineer in context, in context, what's going to happen with this report. And I explained to them in context why I'm asking all of the questions I'm asking. For example, when they're up there and there's a bunch of busted shingles and sealant and mat transfer and, you know, windblown debris on the sealant strips and all this other rigmarole, rigmarole. I, I ask them, you think that's wind damage? Nah, you know, that looks like this or that. And then I'll ask them, do you think that the condition of that shingle could have been exacerbated by a windstorm? Yes, no, maybe. Okay, cool. You know, and they'll talk about the zippering and the racking and the installation of this, and this is incorrect. Okay, great. We're not, we're not here to talk about any of that. Is there wind damage on the roof? Yes, no, maybe. Awesome. Would you repair 97 shingles on this roof? Would you? Why are you here? Is there damage? Yes. Was, was there damage on this roof caused by wind? Yes. And the five people that were up here prior to you agreed. Uh, you know, three ladder guys, seek now, the desk adjuster, everybody, me, the homeowner, the contract, we all agree that there's damage on this roof. So my question to you is, if this was your house and you were looking at a roofer that wanted to come up here and do 97 individual shingle repairs on this 25 square roof, how would you feel about that? The conversation gets interesting. It, it does. does. It really does. I mean, and that's and that's that's an excellent point. And I just want to and and I'll bookend it with this right here. I realize we got some extracurricular activity going here after the round is over, but I will say I think that those are genius questions to ask. Okay, if you're not, you need to ask those questions, I think. And, and what I said at the beginning, trying to redirect an engineer or trying to convince him of one thing or the other is pretty much a fool's errand. But what is not a fool's errand is asking them the questions, the questions that Brent had. So rewind this podcast and go write those questions down, because that's some of the best advice as far as how to handle an engineer's meeting I've ever heard. Maybe we can get those in the comments. I'm not making any promises, but those are some really solid questions that you need to be asking engineers for Depends sure on how many cuss words i have to edit out <laughs> <laughs> i thought i did all right on that one i, I think i didn't get too carried away <laughs> so round three what do we got we're going to talk about having surrounding yourself with a team of experts okay so a team of experts is super important um Mainly because that's what the carrier is doing now. That's what you're going to see, the behavior of the carrier. And I'm not doing it just to copy them. I am doing it because we've, we've got we to gotta be firing the same size bullets back and forth, right? And I don't mean to make everything sound like a fight, but as it pertains to proving a loss, you're going to have to have better proof than they do in order for them to look at your proof. And so assembling a team of experts around you, whether you want to bring them in-house or whether you want to outsource them is something you need to do. Because remember, if you're a public adjuster and you're listening to this, remember your expertise is in policy. It's not in flooring. 
It's not in cabinet repair. It's not in roofing. And I don't care if you, I don't care who you've worked for. Your role in this claim is as an adjuster. So your expertise as it pertains to anything else is not only a conflict, but it's irrelevant. And so what I want to, and so you're going to have to get these team of experts. And so that is one of the things that I've realized in dealing with engineers and bad engineers reports is actually having a team of experts that you work with. And so, um, Brent, are, are there some that you work with on a regular basis? I know I've got a few that I like, but, but go ahead. I, I, would, I would throw them into like different categories. First of all, I think the word expert is so overplayed. Um, but, and, and second of all, as a public adjuster and someone that's been in the, in the claims space for, you know, I guess about five years, um, I feel like I've been in it for 20, but, uh, you know, it's, I have fallen victim to thinking I know, you know, I, I know this, I, I know that I know this to be true. And I guess better, better put, I have fallen victim to thinking that my opinion actually means anything. And I've sort of adopted this, this little phrase of, it's not about what you think you know, it's about what you can prove. And, and it doesn't matter if you call five other roofers, five other sales reps, five other public adjusters, and everybody high fives you and says, yeah, man, I mean, you're right. I can't, I can't believe they're not paying for that. No one gives a shit. So, do I have some guys that I work with? Yes. Um, you know, my brain trust. Um, you know, there's a couple public adjusters that I talk to very frequently. They're freaking, they've, they've forgotten more about policy than I've ever learned. I call them. I pick their brain. Sometimes we run into these, these policy conundrums. It's like, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? How the hell does this work? I think that's really important as it relates to understanding things and in turn framing an argument. Um, you know, as I get into more water and fire and, you know, all these different situations, it's like, yeah, I've, I've got a couple flooring guys up my sleeve that I'll call, you know, I've run into a, a different type of finish in a house. It's like, I've never, you know, I don't know shit about this. Like, I need to call somebody, you know? Um, but yeah, like there's, there's in, in each one of those little categories, cabinets and flooring and countertops and roofing and siding and gutters and, you know, you know, you, you, I remember when I did my first slate claim, you know, I didn't know a freaking thing about slate. You know, I, I can go read some stuff on Google and write a nice email, but I, no one cares about my opinion. So the short answer is yes, there's a, there's a, a handful of folks that contribute to my work product on a daily basis. I can't imagine where I'd be without them. But I think more importantly is understanding how to leverage them. There are certain things that need to be on someone else's letterhead. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I could not agree more. Absolutely. You got to have somebody else that is corroborating your opinion. Absolutely. And I, and, and again, like, I'm not ashamed to admit it because, you know, you're, you're trying to figure it out and, you know, what, what, uh, what cord to pull when or what, what thread to pull when. It's like, you know, these folks, these relationships that you have with these experts or people that specialize in, like, certain things, 
you know, when you lean on them, I think it's it's important as a public adjuster. Or it doesn't matter what part of the process claim claim management process you're in. You you want to make sure that when you're asking for help, that you you make it easy for them to help you. You know, don't get it twisted. It's like we have a job to do. We need to be resourceful, and when we need someone to help us out or corroborate something, you know, have your shit organized your photos, make sure that you're able to give the people that you're asking to do you a favor or take a look at something. Make sure you have your stuff dialed in. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it's nothing like, you know, it's like hiring someone to come paint a room and your room is packed from floor to ceiling of shit. And they show up with their paintbrush and their can of paint and they look at you like, well, what do you want me to do with this? You know what I mean? So I think as as a professional courtesy, the experts are super important. You got to know when and where to leverage them. You got to know when and where you need something on their letterhead. And last but not least, it's like, you know, make sure you're professional about it. (laughs) When you lean on these folks, you want them to be, you want them to be willing to help, not, not palm the forehead when you, when they answer your call. That's my spiel. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and (laughs) I would, I, I mean, I just want to say as my, as my, you know, probably last time to talk here as far as this, portion goes Brent's 100% right okay I'm not going to reiterate anything he said fortunately this is recorded and you go back and listen because everything he said there was just absolute claims handling gold okay so number one the only other thing that I would add is that the experts that I would tell you to go develop a relationship with go find you know there's nothing wrong with with garnering some goodwill out of some people so that when you need an expert that doesn't really have a dog in the hunt as far as this particular claim goes, having that expert who doesn't have any kind of conflict or financial gain to to uh, to realize here, that's the important thing. And one person I would tell every public adjuster to have some kind of relationship with is an attorney that's in the state that you're working in. You need to have a buddy. I left that out. Yeah. I mean, legal. You, yeah. need to have an, you need to have an attorney. So go develop that relationship. The second one that I would tell you that you would need is a water mitigation expert that is mold yeah. and hazardous material certified. So mold, asbestos, um, lead paint, any of that kind of stuff. You want to get somebody that understands that, um, that also understands the claims process and the documentation required for yeah. a mitigation situation. So being that I like to work on fires and, and interior water losses, those are my favorite things to work on. Um, those experts are really, really key. It is more difficult to find someone when you get into the exterior of the home, but uh, depending on your location, if you're down in Florida, you're going to deal with a ton of stucco. And the question is, is it synthetic stucco or is it, or is it actual real masonry stucco? So you can get the EFA stuff that's, in, that's synthetic stucco or you can get the real masonry stuff. And so understanding how those repairs work, what it takes to get that you want to have somebody else's opinion other than the Xactimate macro you downloaded last night to tell you how to estimate <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You're going to have to yeah. have a little bit more than that, you know, and um, and let them and let them direct you as far as protocol and how to estimate it goes, you know. And those are the main ones that I would have in my back pocket when I am walking into the large losses that I'm talking about. Right. You know? 
I mean, everybody in Texas today is completely gun shy as we prepare for Christmas and all of this kind of stuff. We've got two. I, I'm not. I'm not kidding you. Twelve and the, degrees today. It's twelve degrees in Dallas, Texas today. And I was. You know, Brent and I were talking earlier this morning. What I mean was it like thirty or twenty nine or something like that? So it's colder here than it is in Baltimore, Maryland, right now. And and, and you know Texas can do that. I mean, I, I have no idea how we can get the craziest weather. But the point is, is that we're all a little gun shy because the last time it got this cold here in Texas, it was billions of dollars worth of damage. I'm already getting reports of people's power being out. And yeah. so, and we warm up Christmas, Christmas morning. It'll be like around noon is when everything is going to begin to drip thaw out and we're going to start seeing pipes burst everywhere. And I, I know that we're going to see an influx of claims just because of the weather today. You know, I know that that's yeah. what we're going to see. And these experts that are ready to go and make sure, guys, if you're going to be dealing with an influx of claims, documentation is everything. Most of the time, the carrier's not really saying no. They're saying, show me more. Well, show me more information. And, and so don't get discouraged. Hang in there. These engineers' reports are difficult, but the best thing that you can have is experts in your back pocket to handle these claims. And that is important to put a team around you. I wanted to I add don't, that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Donna. I wanted to add that other PAs that you know and trust are also a great resource. If you and just to, to bounce things off of, which is what you and what you and um, and Jeremy do. Um, also, that's invaluable to me. By the way, I just want to thank you, Donna, for bringing yeah, that up. Yeah, she literally stole my thunder. I was just about to freaking say that. I swear, it's like one of the other most simple pieces of advice. I, Donna literally stole it. I was just going to say, sometimes just another set of eyes. Another set of eyes can be your expert. <laughs> you know, in certain situations, it's like you just need, you know, Donna, it's brilliant. It's it's brilliant. Yep. Yeah, mentor yeah. up. I mean, and, and also it, those people can help you find those other experts. They really can. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, birds of a feather and all that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so Brent had mentioned have, you know, have a mentor. And I and I so appreciate the mentors in my life. I mean, I mean, shout out to Vince Perry. Shout out to you, Brent. Um, you guys, you know, just the people that I know that I can pick up the phone Um to pick up the phone and call Steve Patrick is another one that really comes to mind too. That is, that is constantly always there. And if you happen to be so fortunate as to have a personal relationship with Steve Patrick, you know what I'm talking about. You happen to know that that guy is not only going to give you a good answer. He's going to tell you how to, how to handle it and how to handle it like a pro. You know what I mean? That guy, that guy is, is just absolutely Unbelievable! Can't say enough of good things. Maybe, maybe Brent and I need to have Steve on the Rumble at some point in time. You think we could get him? Oh, that would be a freaking blast, man! That would be so fun. It really that would. Be so fun. I, oh shoot! I think he'd have think Brent and I on it. the mat in the first round. I think we would just yeah. have to ring the bell, TKO. I think I get knocked out the first punch. So, but guys, thank you so much, Donna. Once again, I I really appreciate Oops. all of your all of your efforts. She's been our producer, Brent. Man, I cannot say enough about you and how awesome you are. I really really appreciate it. Right back um, at the big dog. So, um, 
Um, we will be back with another show, guys. If you're if you're listening to this and you like it, Brent and I are completely open to topics that you guys want discussed. Um, we're probably going to try to start working in some time in the show to do some questions and all of that kind of stuff. But other than that, guys, we are really glad. We are really glad that uh, you've taken some time uh, to listen to us. I hope that you guys all had a Merry Christmas. By the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be coming gone. I hope you've had a great Merry Christmas and a, and a, and a wonderful New Year. And you've got 2023 kicked off with a bang. Again, we will see you on the next one.